Broadcasting from within the borders of the greatest success story the world has ever known, the United States of America. It's time for an honest discussion from a fresh, new conservative voice. The C.L. Bryant Show. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, throughout the fruited plains of the greatest nation on the face of the planet. The greatest success story the world has ever known. And that is America. Welcome all of you to the C.L. Bryant Show. I am C.L. Bryant, coast to coast and border to border over Red State, Red State Talk, which is the most listened to the number one talk platform in the country. I want to welcome all of our and thank all of our terrestrial stations for replay uh, throughout the day. And I also want to thank Loving Liberty for bringing us into their family as well. And I uh, always remind all of you folks walking through Times Square there in New York City, be sure to look up above Ripley's, believe it or not. And right above there is a Red State Talk billboard. And every hour on the hour, or not on the hour, but through the hour, uh, the C.L. Bryant Show does pop up there on the billboard. And old CL's face is looking right back at you. Well, we got a lot to talk about here today and um, um, a lot of ground to cover. As most of you know, I've been out of town, just got back in from Oregon. And, uh, hey, I got to tell you, uh, up in Bend, Oregon, Richmond, uh, Bend, Oregon area, it is absolutely God's country. Yeah, we know what we're talking about when we're talking about that manifest destiny from sea to shining sea. We're going to talk about all of that after the top of the next hour. Coming up is Peter P. And Gunnery Sergeant Jesse Jane Duff. She's coming back to the show. But first, we're going to bring in Peter Pitts, who is author, has a new book, Common Sense Health. He is president of the Center for Medicine in the, in the Public Interest. And he is former FDA Associate Commissioner. Help me welcome to the show for the first time our friend, Peter Pitts. How are you, Pete? Pretty good. How about yourself? Doing fantastically well. I want to uh, begin our interview with your new book, Common Sense Healthcare. Talk to us about the genesis of that book, Peter Pitts. You know, I've been working for many years on solutions to America's healthcare problems, individually, institutionally, public policy, and none of the answers are easy. Although politicians sometimes make it sound like it's easy. Sees all the insurance companies, you make make Uncle Sam, Uncle Sam, MD, bring in drugs from other countries, you know, you know, put on foreign price controls, and those don't make sense. They don't work. What we need are common sense solutions that sometimes are complicated, but they make sense and they work. And I'm trying to help everybody understand these things, and especially presidential candidates who really don't like uh, solutions that don't make them sound really smart, really fast. 
And let me ask you this, since we're talking about the government intervention and we're looking at a massive uh, health care problem when it comes to opioid, you have been a, a voice, a very uh, vocal and, and heard voice in uh, this nation when it comes to the opioid crisis and perhaps even uh, the design of the opioid uh, addictions uh, when it comes to the relationship that the pharmaceuticals and the insurance companies have as in that uh, uh, epidemic. Talk to us about that aspect and your viewpoint on opioids, pharmaceuticals, big pharma, and the insurance companies. You know, one of the problems with opioids is that they're overprescribed. I mean, they're, they, they really get the job done for a lot of people who are responsible. You know, the good news is, if there's any good news to be had here, is that the overwhelming majority of people who are addicted to opioids never got a prescription from a doctor in the first place. It's a, it's a junkie situation. But too many pills have been prescribed by doctors. And why is that? And largely it's because insurance companies don't want to reimburse for non-opioid pain treatments. They're more expensive. They'd rather have doctors fill out prescriptions for cheap opioids. Opioids are very inexpensive. And the result is that people that should, who, should, who should never have gotten these pills in the first place uh, sometimes a very negative effect. So, you know, it, it can't just be about lining the pockets of the insurance industry. It has to be about getting people the care that they need, that their doctors feel that they need. And that needs to come first. And that's common sense. You know, when we think about uh, this particular crisis that you are talking about, uh, it was diabolical, of course, the crack e- epidemic, the cocaine, the whole cocaine thing. But uh, what's truly diabolical, in, in my opinion, Peter Pitts is my guest here today, is this. This opioid addiction crosses now all lines of ethnicities and also status as far as income brackets are concerned. Is that true? Is it true that people from the least to those who are in the penthouse uh, of America, are, is, is this something that is, can be a, a great effect on the entire population? Well, that's, that's definitely true. And, you know, the reason behind that is they're inexpensive and there are plenty of them out there to be diverted from legitimate usage to uh, criminal uses for uh, people that want to use it to get to get high. So what we've got to do is make sure that only people that really need these pills get them. But the finesse here is that you don't want to punish people who need these pills and use them appropriately and responsibly. And that's most people. So I think part of the issue here is toning down the media hype a little bit that everybody on opioids is an actor or junkie and understand that the overwhelming majority of Americans who use opioids use them responsibly as as directed by their doctors. It's the criminal element here that has caused the problem. And so it's, it's as much a law enforcement problem as it is a healthcare system problem. Peter Pitts is my guest, and he is author of the new book, Common Sense Healthcare. Before we ask him about uh, an organization that he is president of, uh, Center for Medicine in the Public Interest and former FDA uh, associate commissioner, who we're speaking to in Peter Pitts, I want to ask you, Peter, how do we get a hold of your book and how do we get a hold of you if a person uh, people in their lodge uh, their uh, social gathering places in their cities churches what have you would want you to come and talk to them uh, tell us how to get a hold of you and how to get a hold of the book well thanks for asking really it's the same answer which is go to our website which is cmpi.org you can order the book through that website you can see many of our other articles and videos and if you'd like us to come talk to your group we'd be glad to do that too there's a way to contact us on the website cmpi.org. Fantastic. 
Now, your president uh, of the Center for um, Medicine in the Public Interest, and a lot of us may not know uh, what you mean by uh, this particular organization. What is the Center for Medicine uh, in the Public Interest? The Public Interest. Uh, why, why that? Why did you place that in the, the naming of your organization? That's a, that's a really great question because we believe that for healthcare reform to work, it has to be better for people on the ground. I'll give you an example. So when, when most people say my drugs are too expensive, what they generally mean is that my insurance is too expensive, my copay is too expensive. And a lot of the policy ideas that are out there are on a 30,000-foot level. It doesn't really impact the patient. We believe that the public interest has to come first. If people want to put solutions in place, it has to help people on the ground right now. When they walk into the pharmacy, their copays have to be lower. If the doctors want to prescribe a drug for them, their insurance companies should say yes rather than no. That the power needs to reside with the patient and the, and the doctors who see these patients, not with some invisible bureaucratic corporate entity uh, insurance company somewhere in Connecticut or elsewhere. People have to feel the benefit right away on the ground level of any reform that politicians want to talk about. My guest is Peter Pitts, and uh, his book is Common Sense Health Care. Uh, I want to uh, continue with him, and of course, if you don't get both hours of the show, be sure to download free the C.L. Bryant Show app onto your favorite device. Uh, when we left, um, Peter, you were you were talking to us about the public interest, and I I work with this group of of doctors, um, uh, physicians, uh, health health reform, physicians for health reform, and um, they have this idea, or at least some of them have said that there may be racketeering that goes on when it comes to uh, the safe harbor type of situations. Uh, do you have an opinion on the type of, uh, is there any nefarious activity in your, from your viewpoint that might be going on in that big pharma insurance type of industry to pay the play type of thing? Well, you know, you know anything that isn't transparent has the opportunity to be nefarious. And there's zero transparency in the system as we have it right now, and that's got to change. I'll give you an example. Uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers, people that invent these drugs, deal with companies called prescription benefit managers. They're the middlemen, and they get 20, 30, 40, 50%, sometimes more discount off of prescription drugs that they then resell. They don't pass along those savings to the consumer. And not only that, they base the copay on the list price that they're not paying. So, you know, in my book, that's called uh, cheating. Uh, and they get rebates. And the question is, when does a rebate uh, equal a kickback, which is illegal? And it's, uh, that's because there's a government safe harbor, as you mentioned, that allows these pers prescription benefit managers basically to have a license to steal. And this has been discussed up and down the beltway, and nothing has been done. So it's huge special interest. So I guess the point to be made here is that until uh, transparency is injected into the way drugs are priced and, and discounted and, and resold until they finally reach the consumer at the pharmacy, it's going to be tough to really make reform. And everybody's got a, a slice of the blame. But rather than looking at it that way, I think, you know, the Japanese have a great proverb, which is don't fix the blame, fix the problem. So I think I want to give everybody within this healthcare ecosystem a chance to step forward and do the right thing and play fair and put the patient first. But if they don't, then Uncle Sam's going to enter into the game with a very heavy hand and that's got the good good sides as well as some very, very heavy downsides. 
Peter Pitts is my guest, author of the book Common Sense Health Care. And uh, Peter, when we think about it, seem, seems to be a, a, defi- a defiance, ignorance among the American people. What you have described and what many uh, who come on the show talk about uh, in, in some cases in one form or another is the, the, the ignorance that seems to be uh, just pervasive among the American people. It seems there would be an outcry from them. If they had this knowledge, is there truly an, an ignorance of the game that's being played on the American people or the way this thing operates in the, the delivery of medicine to the, the public, the public interest? Talk to us about that. Yeah. You know, I think I think that there is. That's, that's a good way to put it, because at the end of the day, this is all very complicated and no single patient can be expected to understand exactly how the system works at their pharmacy or at the hospital or with their insurance companies. And doctors don't get it either. And, you know, the status quo is a harsh mistress. So it really is, you know, the individual patient, you and me and your listeners, against this status quo. And the reason that it's so difficult is because the status quo for pharmaceutical companies and for the insurance industry, for prescription benefit managers, and to a large degree for the government, too, in hospitals, is that they learned how to make the status quo work for them versus it to work for patients. So that's got to be addressed. And I think that the people within this ecosystem really want to do the right thing. They need to be uh, prodded and bullied and incentivized and hugged to to do the right thing. But all we're really getting are sound bites out of politicians running for office, which moves the ball not one inch in either direction. That's that's amazing that uh, you would say that because when we think about uh, the future of health care, of course, we think about how then we're having an age aging population in America. And Peter, you've te- you've stepped up to the plate and you, you you're, you're taking your swing at bat. And I believe you're you're hitting some some real long balls out there into deep center. And uh, in succeeding, and I trust God that you will succeed in what you're doing because I think it's very important work, and certainly want to have you back on the show. But I ask this question to so many who come on the show, and I, I want to ask you this because there has to be great purpose in the way you're visualizing uh, your work. Legacy. When it's all said and done, Peter Pitts has finished writing his books and touring the country talking about uh, and saving people from the, the evils of Big Pharma in many cases. What do you want people to say about you? What do you want to leave behind? Why do you do this? Yeah, you know, I, I want to provide broader access to high-quality health care. I want to protect the uh, incentive for pharmaceutical companies to innovate, to invest in research and development. And I really hope that this all results in people having better therapeutic outcomes, people getting healthier quicker, people staying healthier longer. And I should also add that part of this, too, is accepting personal responsibility for ourselves through diet and exercise and healthy lifestyles. And I certainly trust that uh, your work will continue to be blessed. And I want to thank you for coming on the show with me here today. I want to have you back. My uh, Our producer, uh, Michelle, uh, will get you back on uh, to the many thousands of you out there because you don't know the type of information that Peter Pitts has delivered to you. Uh, many times we're taken advantage of, and that's exactly when it all boils down is what's happening. You're being taken advantage of, and people like Peter Pitts are shedding the light on that for you. Again, uh, Peter, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for being on with me here today. And Godspeed to you. And we'll talk to you real soon.
Thank you. Very great pleasure. I'm C.L. This is the C.L. Bryant Show, and I want to thank each and every one of you for uh, having uh, followed us and come along with us here today. Uh, My next guest after uh, this break is going to be Gunnery Sergeant Jesse Jane Duff, and uh, she has, uh, of course, made her face known on all of the uh, cable channels and network news as someone who is a staunch uh, lover of our nation, our country, and has worn our uniform, of course, and is a defender of our great republic. And so uh, when we come back with uh, more of the C.L. Bryant Show after uh, this break, we uh, want to talk to her. But before we go to break, um, I got to tell you, coming up after the, in the next hour, I'm going to be talking about this topic, and you want to stick around. And if you don't get both hours of the show, be sure to download free the C.L. Bryant Show app onto your phone or device, Android device, or your favorite device, whatever it is, and um, listen to us daily. I'm traveling a lot these days, and so uh, what we're doing uh, in many cases, because the guests that we have on, uh, and so of course, sometimes when I'm just talking to you myself, uh, I just want to share things with you for you to think about as you travel uh, through the uh, on this journey that God has given to all of us here in uh, our neck of the woods, America. And um, but I travel. I'm traveling a lot uh, these days, and uh, that's probably going to intensify once we get into 2020. And uh, we're going to be here live. and We're going to be here uh, on, but sometimes we won't be live. But you will be able to refresh yourself on uh, some of the past shows that we have done. Uh, all of them are what we call evergreen. They they remain um, green, uh, or they remain ready to, to listen to anytime. We we play them. And uh, so but today we are live and in living color. The C.L. Bryant show is. And my last guest was Peter Pitts. And I got to tell you something, folks. Uh, He was sharing with us just how um, when you really think about it in the dark, we are when it comes to why, why we are paying so much for certain medicines. I mean, medicines that are absolutely uh, vital to some people remaining alive. And there's a certain, uh, you know, evil, I guess you could say, uh, twisted in that because once the person is on certain medications, the withdrawal from it is life-threatening in some cases. If they can't get the medicine. And so, my friends, we have certainly, we certainly need to pay attention to what is going on here right now. And so let us, let us then become, be be very aware of our mission as citizens, and that is to make this a better place for us and our posterity. That's our Constitution.
Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. CL back with you, coast to coast, border to border, over Red State, America's number one uh, place to hear talk radio, Red State Talk Radio. Glad to be a part of that family and all of the others uh, throughout the Fruited Plains uh, as well, who do us in replay. And then I want to uh, thank Loving Liberty for bringing us into their family as well. Uh, Red State, Red State Talk, the billboard is above Ripley's, believe it or not, right there in Times Square, a block away from where they dropped the big ball coming up here in a little over, uh, what, 90 days uh, going to be dropping that big ball. New year will be here. And the year, the next year, 2020, would have arrived. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, I always have to cite uh, the old saying of my day, if I had known I would live this long. I would certainly have taken better care of myself. And I'm doing the very best I can right now because I'm in that uh, over 45 and under 85 group. And uh, the medical journals are actually telling all of us that we are going to be living much, much longer. And when we look at the uh, presidential candidates, uh, our own president, Donald John Trump, 73 years of age, and uh, then the top contenders on the uh, meathead Democrat side, uh, all of them are in their 70s as well. And so let's then shift gears a little bit here. And I want to bring in a friend of the show, someone who has been on uh, with me on several occasions. She is a great patriot. She's worn the colors and the the, uh, uniform of our nation. She has served us and still serving us very well in defense of our republic. Help me welcome back to the show, Gunnery Sergeant Jesse Jane Dove. How are you? Oh, good afternoon, Motivator. Good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Glad that you're there uh, for us, Jesse Jane Duff. And uh, let me ask you this. Let's jump right into this thing here. Uh, Is it possible that the Democrats themselves are jumping in glee that the president is uh, pushing the buttons of Joseph Biden? I mean, the president's really laying into him, and I have a feeling the president does absolutely have the upper hand. Give us your take on that situation. I can't predict what the uh, the Democrats want. Think about it. They have candidates out the wazoo, and not one of them comes across as even anybody reasonable or um, actually competition for President Trump. Unless you're an extreme socialist, there really isn't anyone who has any strong foundation. So knocking out Joe Biden, what do they have to gain with that? He actually has the best name recognition and potentially could have been a puppet for the next administration uh, if he were to have defeated President Trump, which is unlikely, of course. So, you know, I don't like to speculate on that. You've got a wide range of opinion on different Democratic candidates. 
and Elizabeth Warren seems to be surging and starting to look like the stable genius to them. Uh, Joe Biden has been imploding for some time. He just simply does not show the fortitude to be able to have the memory. He's not quick on his feet. And all of these uh, all of these foreign problems that he's had with his son getting $1.5 billion, billion dollars in a China deal when he was over there negotiating on China trade and then going over to the Ukraine. Keep in mind, this is when Russia had taken Crimea out of the Ukraine. And essentially, Joe Biden was over there. This is in February of 2014. He's over there supposedly negotiating, trying to work a peace agreement and ensure that Russia and Ukraine are stabilized. And his son has this $50,000 a month job, a month job with a Ukrainian energy company, which he had no experience with. And then, you know, when you just uh, layer after layer, now we can go back even further. When he was in the Senate, prior to him even being the vice president, he was advocating to get President Putin to support us with the war in Iraq and get the profits off of the Iraqi oil. Now, that would have been at the on the backs of our men and women who were dying over there, the Marines, soldiers, sailors, and airmen who would have been sacrificed in combat, he was offering this oil deal to Putin, and the Bush administration just turned a blind eye to him immediately. That was your real Russia collusion. Then there was another article that had come out. I have to refresh my memory, but as I recall, his brother was going to profit off of or was presenting a housing opportunity for uh, the Iraq situation, for military housing in Iraq. So, again, it's profit off of the position in which clearly President Trump said in his inauguration back in uh, when he was elected that here we are. Everybody who has served in this office has profited off of it, off the backs of the American taxpayer. And Joe Biden has become the poster child of that. So I don't know that the, the Democrats are joyful about this because, honestly, I don't think Adam Schiff – as uh, much as he wants to take out President Trump, he wants to take out President Trump more than he wants to take out Joe Biden. When he came forward with this quote-unquote whistleblower, who was never even in the DNI, was not even in the room when all this was said, is completely doing a he-said-she-said number. He was running to the press with this because he just thought he had his, his claws around President Trump. Inadvertently, he exposed Joe Biden. I don't think this was by divine plan. I think it really was the typical clumsy efforts by the Democrats to try to take out President Trump. And they only end up revealing their own collusion in in locations where they had no business sticking their big, fat noses. National personality Jesse Jane Duff, gunnery sergeant, served our nation proudly. Uh, 20 years uh, she served our nation. She is my special guest, and uh, we're going to continue with her. You know, the double standard that you um, were what we many times talk about uh, here on this show when if this had been any hint of this attached to Trump or one of his sons, Don Jr., uh, let's just say this would be the absolute end of a presidency. I'm, I'm afraid. I think this just may finish uh, Joe Biden as well. At least I hope it does. But now let me ask you this. Doesn't a president have the right constitutionally to conduct foreign policy? Isn't doesn't he have the right to speak with any foreign leader that he chooses? Somehow the Dems are trying to convey to the American people that uh, he was overstepping some type of bound. I don't get it. Shed some light on it for us. 
Well, it wasn't a, it, he didn't overstep any boundaries because essentially the uh, DNI went to Department of Justice and there was no urgent need for this to be something that they would have to explore or investigate. It didn't meet the standard. And that's it. If there's a standard in which you would potentially say that a president has done something unauthorized, and that would have been maybe if he was trying to uh, overthrow his own government. Or, you know, I'm sure there's something out there that could result in an investigation. But uh, there were 20 people that had overheard this conversation, apparently. There was roughly, and I don't have the accurate number, but there were. he was not alone in this conversation. It was overheard by many and listened to by many, and the transcripts are available by many. The Ukrainian president himself came out and said there was no nefarious means going on during this conversation. There was no pressure being applied. So it's not even said so much about the rights of the president as much as that Democrats don't respect this president. Let's just not take our eye off that ball. We have, we know that presidents speak with foreign leaders on a daily basis, probably, in many, in many cases, if not weekly, at minimum weekly. And if you're going to now have this kind of whistleblowing going on by somebody who wasn't even in the room, who heard it secondhand, and even try to proclaim it as a whistleblower, you're not even meeting the standard in which it could be a whistleblower. For example, DNI, the person doesn't even work for DNI, doesn't even work for the intelligence agency in which they are trying to whistleblow for. So, I, you know, these are very rhetorical questions. To me, they're just no-brainers. We know exactly yeah. what this is about. This is about undermining a duly elected president by the Democrats of the United States, starting with the DOJ at the very top of the realm when we had Comey under the FBI, McCabe. I mean, we could go on and on with the list of these nefarious players that were trying to deliberately undermine his election with a fake dossier. They had sent that dossier over to the CIA. The dossier was over there, too. That's how Brennan got wind of it. And he's of John Brennan, who was a former CIA director director was on CNN, continuously repeating everything that was in the dossier. You want to know how moronic this was? The FBI thought somebody in the FBI was leaking because Brennan was talking about it. They didn't know that he had it. So they're out there talking about, I've seen this, I've seen that, my source is this, my source is that. And people believe them because people like Adam Schiff and, and uh, John Brennan, John Brennan, former CIA director, Adam Schiff, who was in charge of the Intelligence Committee, oh, they must have known something because they're in these intelligence committees. They have access. Turns out what they they had seen was based upon a very fragile sand castle that as soon as the first wave hits it, it starts to collapse because there was nothing there there. It was an artificial dossier that they knew was artificial, but they put forward anyway to create an investigation. And Bob Mueller knew it was artificial, but his job was to go in there and try to find obstruction of justice. So yes, sadly, a lot of people who got fell under the investigation ended up being thrown under a bus. They tried to set up Papadopoulos with a fake foreign agent that was really working for the U.S., but pretending to be from Russia to say that he was talking to a foreign agent. If you got that, then you're probably more sane than I am. Because Papadopoulos was, was a complete freaking setup. It wasn't even a foreign agent. It was a person pretending to be a foreign agent who was working for our side. That's so I amazing. get excited. So I start explaining these things, and you start, people start realizing the insanity of it. I was about to. Who did go down? That uh, probably deservedly went down was for his nefarious activity was Manafort. Manafort, unfortunately, had had some sleazy deals with Ukraine way back prior, prior to the election, long before he was in the campaign. And that's unfortunate. I feel bad for the guy because, uh, honestly, you know, he got caught and then got exposed because of this sleazy thing. But guess what, people? The Ukraine is not Russia, and it was not tied to 
speak campaign. Not one person in this campaign was shown to have collusion with Russia. How many times we got to say that? Then they had to drop that. Then they go with obstruction of justice. Well, why? Because Donald Trump got upset that he was being investigated? Well, he's crime and y'all are getting pretty upset, Democrats, that you're being called liars. Wow. You don't like it much, do you? But Isn't that amazing? The truth. You are liars. You've made this up. Now you don't have obstruction of justice. Then he had to go with racism after he called Baltimore a rat-infested city. That only lasted 2.5 days because then we stuck up and pay up. Elijah Cummings calling his own city rat-infested. Then Frank Luntz from doggone Fox News, the pollster, said, well, I dare to say he would never say a, li- oh, a lily white community is infested. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Frank Luntz. I posted it on Twitter. 2017, he called New Hampshire drug infested. Lily white New Hampshire. So don't tell me that he wouldn't do it. So the racism charge collapses. He goes after the squad. He's called a racist, but yet they're anti-Semites. Okay, that collapses. What's the next one we going? Oh, let's go after Justice Kavanaugh. A year later, let's resurrect some high school girl who can't remember where she was at one night, but decides to claim that she was sexually assaulted. And then you can track down the woman. Oh, I'm sorry, it was a college situation, but she doesn't even remember reporting it. That collapses. Now what are we on? Oh, a whistleblower. People, this isn't even a whistleblower. This is somebody who never even worked with the DNI and wasn't even in on the conversation. Go ahead. Let them both testify so we can watch another crap show like we saw with Corey Lewandowski challenging every one of those Democrats because they didn't know what they were talking about. That they is true. They did not know Jesse, what they let were me, saying. Let me he break in here. Yeah, I mean, this, this is amazing. It goes on. And yeah, and it, on. you know what? All though? of yarn. This, this is amazing. I mean, hey, the only thing I can say was preach, woman, preach, because you were preaching. I mean, I mean, you're really preaching it. But let me ask you this. I'm mean, switching gears just a little bit. We got the uh, coming up here. And, and folks, you can tell very clearly why she is a very well sought after speaker across the nation. And we're going to tell you how to get a hold of her here in just a little bit. But coming up on the uh, 27th, 29th of this, this month, you're going to have uh, Jesse Jane Duff, the National Federation of Republican Women, will have their 40th uh, biennial uh, convention. And uh, Jesse Jane Duff is going to be there. Jesse, you'll be representing the uh, women for Trump nationals, uh, the national women for Trump. Uh, and, and so talk to us about the, the importance of uh, that vote that, of course, you represent. And, uh, the, and on behalf, you'll be speaking. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so I'm on the advisory board for Women for Trump, and people can get more information about who we are at women.donaldjtrump.com. That would be women. DonaldJTrump.com. So essentially, you know, the left has drummed up this uh, lie that women don't support the president and that polls are running around saying suburban women aren't supporting the president. You know, here's my thing. They have no idea what they're talking about. There's 6 million new jobs. 3.6 of them have gone to women. Over half of these jobs have gone to women, number one. Number two, since he had had announced his campaign over three months ago now, over half of the donations have come from women. The average donation is $40. What does that tell you? That there are small donations and over half have come from women. Third, he has raised more than half of what he had raised in all of his 2015-16 cycle. So that tells you now he's making a lot of money, and over half of that is coming from women. 
So when somebody tells me suburban women in the polls are coming out low, I'll say, well, are you going to answer the phone and tell people who you're voting for if you live in the suburbs? Let me give you an example. Sarah Huckabee Sanders went to a suburban restaurant called the Red Hen and ended up being chased out by a bunch of suburban freakzoids who ended up making her afraid and her family was intimidated. Every suburban mom out there is thinking, if I answer this question as to who I am voting for, am I getting doxxed? Am I getting outed? Is it going to become a discussion at the PTA? I see Antifa on television. I see people getting harassed. I see them getting berated for supporting this president. I'm going to keep my voting views to myself because it's over half of this man's donations have come from women and they weren't suburban women are you going to tell me they were urban women because i'll tell you what i'd love to be scoring high with the urban women too like that sounds like a win to me so honestly when they make these claims that he is an anti-woman the job speaks testimony these women have the lowest unemployment rate that we've had since world war ii lowest and guess who else is scoring high on this African-American women, they're scoring even lower than African-American men. First of all, it's the lowest unemployment rate among African-Americans ever, and now African-American women are even scoring higher than the men or lower than the men with less, roughly around a 4% unemployment rate. So when women are profiting off an economy and their sons are working and they're not living at home saying, give me money, their daughters are out there working, not living at home in the basement at 25 saying, give me money, and their husbands are working, not saying, honey, uh, you need to work more because I can't work, women are happy. They don't like to have their entire family strapped to them, not only just emotionally and financially. So when their family is stable financially and they are stable financially, they understand that this president is the one person that has made it happen. We could talk about China deals. We could talk about Iran. We could talk about nuclear uh, threats. We could talk about Kavanaugh all day long. But you know what? If you got kids and you got a family, everything's about balancing that darn budget. And can we afford the house? Can we afford the car? Do we got to sell the kids and sell the cars and sell everything else? just to make ends meet. And I know you can't sell your kids, so if somebody's recording this and decides to say, Jesse Jane Duff advocates for selling children, no, I don't. It's called sarcasm. I'm very good at it. There's going to be a lot of tweets about that. You're going to get a lot of stuff about that. But, hey, she knows you can't sell your kids. She was just giving you an example of what's going on. Stay with me. But, you know, it's like a family is really a I got a break coming up. Just stay with me right there. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Stay with me through the break my uh, special guest today is gunnery sergeant jesse jane duff oh you've seen her everywhere she is uh, one of the loudest voices out there in defense of our great republic she has fought for it she has defended it in our uniform quintessential american woman and uh, i'm very proud to have her on as my guest we're going to return with her and uh coming up on the 27th through the 29th of this month, the National Federation of Republican Women in uh, Indianapolis will be held, having holding an event, and Jesse Jane Duff will be there. Go to communications at nfrw.org and get all the information that you need about this upcoming event. I'm CL. This is the CL Bryan Show. We'll be back with Jesse Jane Duff. You thought I was worth saving So you came and changed my life You thought I was worth keeping So 
Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio. Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn. Turn to every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities, sanctuary cities that... You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop. Stand up for America. Then Americans, stand up, stand up, stand up. God bless you. God bless America. I do the best I can. Always in the heaven hand. And for the flag I stand. D-Rock's latest release, I am an American and glad to and proud to have uh, loaned my voice, made loan of my voice to the opening of that new song. I am an American. All of you traveling through Times Square, all of you traveling through uh, New York City's Times Square, be sure to look up above Ripley's. Ripley's, believe it or not, the Red State Talk billboard is above Ripley's, and every hour the C.L. Bryant show does pop up there, just a block from where they're going to drop the big ball a little over 90 days, and uh, on the big screen and uh, thank all of you for coming along download free the cl bryant show app onto your favorite device if you don't get both hours of the show thank all of our uh, stations who replay the show and of course loving liberty for having us into their family as well my special guest is jesse jane duff and uh, you know you made a, an incredible um, point right before we went to break about uh, those mothers whose sons and daughters are now working, whose husbands are now working, and, uh, and how women of all stripes are, in fact, benefiting from this Trump administration and the policies. Is this uh, really strengthening the family, Jesse? I mean, that's something that's been crumbling. And uh, when we look at the a healthy economy, does that translate into healthy families? Talk to us. Well, you know, we have to change the dynamic of what the country has allowed itself to become. Candace Owens has become a significant uh, assault on the leftist ideals that, you know, to be black in America, you must think a certain way. And uh, I watched her recent hearing on white nationalism and, of course, Twitter trends that Candace Owens says white nationalism is not a problem. She didn't say that. She actually said it's not the most significant problem for the black community. We have created a culture in this country through our government enabling uh, people to not have to be married, to have children so that they can receive government assistance. They have enabled this problem with not ensuring that our public schools are offering equal education, essentially Brown versus Brown Board of Education turned into we're not we're going to give you equally poor education versus equally quality education. And that's unfortunate. Now it's based upon your zip code. And many black children, including those of underprivileged uh, 
uh, minority groups and whites are often in school systems that are failing. We have a very low percentage rate of graduation here in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. I think roughly it's about 70 percent graduation rate for uh, across the board, but I've even heard lower than that. And when you look at the disparity between the average graduation rate among white suburban kids versus inner city um, African-American children, it's a huge difference. And that tells you that the education is failed because now we have a system that is designed to create it's essentially a discrimination by economic class, and it's created a prejudice by low expectations. And you've seen this in many documentaries or movies done, um, such as Escalante, the famous mathematician that went into the inner cities of Los Angeles and taught Spanish kids or Latino kids, I should say, who pretty much had uh, immigrant parents that they could accelerate in mathematics, and the school was saying, why are you being so hard on these kids? And he said, this is bigotry by a low expectation. You want them just to barely pass instead of treating them to exceed the expectations. And he got these children into academic programs in major universities because they accelerated at math. And once you accelerate at something so complex as mathematics, the rest can come together and your self-confidence increases. But bigotry by a low expectation has been what's trained here in D.C. when Michelle Ree was in the school system. She was a very well-known education advocate. They made one of the documentaries called Waiting for Superman on how the young kids in New York City are in a lottery program trying to get out of the public school system and how Michelle Ree had essentially stated the public school system has enabled the teachers and not enabled the students because the teachers are now the ones that get the tenure. The teachers just passed kids. The teacher's job security was put more on a pedestal on holding the kids to a standard to even graduate. There were rapid abuses in the classrooms that she put a stop to. Then, of course, she was pushed out because people felt she didn't treat the teachers fairly. Well, what about the kids? The bigotry by low expectation is something that has been passed down now, probably, what, three generations. We're in the inner city schools where we have a low expectation of these kids that have the brains that could become a surgeon like Dr. Ben Carson, who is now the DHS secretary. And when you look at, I'm not DHS, I'm sorry, HUD secretary, uh, he handles the housing and urban development. He grew up in poverty. He grew up in public housing. He understands that these are remarkable people that are being wasted at the disposal of liberal policies. And what started off maybe as good intentions, I'd like to give them a benefit of the doubt on that, is no longer good intentions because you have enslaved an entire society of people below a certain economic class to believe that they are nothing without the government helping them, regardless of race, creed, or color. All the abortion rates have gone up with every economic class. Every out-of-wedlock rate has gone up with every, I'm sorry, with every race. White out-of-wedlock rates, Latino, Asian, black, all have skyrocketed under the system in which we enable poverty to ensure that fathers are kept out of the homes. The mass incarceration rates among black males has often been ignored. It has become a substitute to getting them jobs. And if we would have invested in these young black males long before they became interested in the violence that's going on in the streets, because our education system essentially gives up by fourth grade so that they're not even thinking about college. They're just thinking about survival. 
then you have created a dependent system upon the government from a basically from a poor education system to a prison system to a dependent system on welfare. That is a cycle of poverty that's being repeated generation after generation. And it is not just African-American. It is also among whites and Latinos and anybody else who has been taught that this is your substitute for a father in the home and for accountability by yourself. Jesse, you have hit the nail on the head. Uh, Folks, you may not be aware, but the statistics show that prisons are projected and they're built not on those who are in their adult lives. They're built because of what they see coming up from the fourth grade. Uh, Jesse Jane Duff is my special guest, and she nailed that point. You know, Jesse, I think back to uh, the president uh, saying on the campaign trail, what do you have to lose? And now that is for all Americans. He was speaking to a black crowd when he uh, said those words. But now, Americans, as we face the 2020 elections, uh, that question should ring in the ear of all of us. What would we have to lose if, in fact, we did lose uh, the presidency of Donald John Trump to the progressive liberals? Uh, we must be vigilant. Uh, I look it, it, to me, it looks like it should be a landslide, but you can't you cannot slow down. In, Don't underestimate uh, uh, them. This nope. fight, absolutely. Jesse, yeah, let, we let me, have let me to show ask you that this. this is a defeat. We have to show that it's not just the popular vote, but the Electoral College. It has to be a sweep because, you know, we got to rub their noses in what they try to still claim. Hillary still wandering around with her sympathy tour that she was the most popular. Oh, my goodness. You're not a prom queen. You failed to get out there to Wisconsin. You failed to get out there to Michigan. You failed to recognize those in Pennsylvania that were drug addicted. You forgot the forgotten man and the forgotten woman. We have an opioid crisis that you failed to address. You have 20 0.5 million jobs that left from 2000 to 2010 all the way to China, and we have yet to get all of those jobs back. You couldn't address all that because you want a dependent society, because that dependent society cushioned your pockets, cushioned your husband's pockets, allowed your foundation to uh, basically get their pockets full of gold from every country that was willing to buy into favor of your administration. You, you had uh, you had Republicans wrapped around your finger because everybody realized that you were a golden ticket for their success. You've got some of the most selfish people here in Washington, D.C. They're all profiting off of the government, which is the taxpayers. And that is why they wanted a Hillary in office, because if they have more government and that more profit and more capability for them to have a lifestyle that those in the rest of the country, the flyover country, were not able to have and not able to enjoy. Average median income in this area is about $89,000. The rest of the nation is roughly about forty-five dollars to $49,000. Yeah, the cost of living here skyrockets too. But what are we producing for that money? Yeah. Nothing but government pork and bureaucracy. Jesse, I have one more question for you because, uh, everyone, you've heard what's on her heart. She's been able to express it in uh, a very fervent and, uh, oh, incredibly effective way. Jesse, when it's all, uh, when you when you're, uh, decide to, to sit on the porch, hang up the spurs, you know, and put the saddle up uh, and sit on the porch and rock and reflect upon uh, what you've uh, done here in America and for our nation and, and all of that. When you reflect on it, you got about three minutes left in this segment. Tell the audience about legacy. What is it that you want uh, us to say uh, about Jesse Jane Duff or the world to remember about your work? <laughs> Well, 
Well, that, you know, that's a hard one for me because the greatest thing I ever accomplished, I probably already have behind me, and that was becoming a United States Marine and becoming a gunnery sergeant and learning how to drive a 13-speed tractor trailer. If you knew me, um, I was a ballerina and didn't even have a driver's license. So that was maybe just a major thing because that led into where I am today. The legacy is, is if you continually invest in something that you believe in, and although it may not bring back a reward quickly or rapidly or overnight, if you continually invest in what you believe in that is for the right reasons and for the good moral purpose of holding our country together, your reward will come. Investing in what you believe in will not be overnight. It may be just like your faith. It'll come to you when you pass. And if you invest in what is right, the reward will come. And that is what every person out there has to recognize. It's not necessarily about riches. It's not necessarily about a new car. All of that materialism comes and goes. And as soon as you get the new car, five months later, you're looking at other cars that you wish you had got. Oh, that came out. (laughs) You know, you have to find satisfaction in knowing that you're standing upon what is right and good. And when you bring that to other people, when you bring that to your country, and when you bring that to your community, and you bring that to your family, that is going to be your legacy, that you stood for what is right and good. I do love it. Hey, listen, folks, coming up on the 27th through the 29th of uh, this month in Indianapolis, uh, the uh, Federation, the National Federation of Republican Women will be meeting there for their 40th biennial um, convention. And Rona McDaniel will be there. Susan Crouch, Susan Brooks will be there. Kaylee uh, McEnany will be there as well as our guest Jesse Jane Duff. She will be there. You be there. And you can go to communications at nfrw.org in order to reserve your spot there in Indianapolis. Jesse Jane Duff, I want to thank you for being on with me. Uh, God bless you and God keep you is my prayer for you. I know that you're going to continue to fight the good fight because you are fighting the good fight. Again, thank you so much for being on the C.L. Bryant Show. We're going to have you back real soon. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm C.L. This is the C.L. Bryan Show. That was Jesse Jane Duff, Gunnery Sergeant Jesse Jane Duff. And, hey, um, I got to tell you, folks, uh, folks, something. We talk about people who just naturally fired up about the goodness of America and the greatness of our republic. Uh, doesn't take much to get Jesse Jane Duff going on that topic. And uh, you can see here the passion and the, the uh, fire that she has in her belly for our nation. I certainly hope that you are of that same ilk. I certainly hope you have the same fire and desire, passion in your bellies to preserve, to save our republic for, yes, the future generations. We are a light to the world, and we we need to remain that way, Americans. Loving Liberty is proud to be a co-sponsor of Prager University's new video, Was Jesus a Socialist? by Lawrence W. Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Watch his thought-provoking five-minute video online at PragerU.com. Was Jesus a Socialist? by Larry Reed is now online at PragerU.com. And listen to Larry every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Mountain Time on the Reed Hour here on the Loving Liberty Radio Network.